Thank you, Chief. And our second reading, our gospel reading, is from John's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. And that's on page 1079, if you would like to follow in the Pew Bibles. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with them. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will not always have the poor among you. Excuse me, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Lord, I pray that you will be in my words and in our hearts and minds this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over this last six months or so, it's been great that we at St. Giles have been able to be a part of the wider life of our diocese as we've hosted the Real Life Discipleship course every Tuesday evening, along with Katie Conley and Christina Mole from our church family and Janet Bryden from St. Luke's. It's been a real pleasure for me to host these gatherings. It's also been a great pleasure for the members of our midweek communion congregation to partake of the leftover chocolate brownies and lemon drizzle cake, but that's another story. As the final part of each real life evening, there's been an opportunity to ask questions of our speakers, and although I'm certainly less qualified to respond than they are, I've also occasionally had the opportunity to add my theological two-penneth to the discussion, which has been rather fun. On the final Tuesday of this term, during which we've been looking at each of our ten marks of discipleship with reference to a particular historical theologian, one of our guests asked what I thought was a really good question. Who would you say are today's theologians? 
And our speaker that evening, David Emerton, made some excellent suggestions, but I thought I'd chip in with a plug for one of my favourites as well. And I'm not being paid to say this, given that I'm an Anglican priest. Uh, He is Rowan Williams, the previous Archbishop of Canterbury. During my three years of theological training, I was privileged to receive the occasional lecture from Archbishop Rowan. And I've always found what he has to say about our Christian faith, if occasionally slightly impenetrable, uh, absolutely worth listening to and worth the effort of engaging with. So when I saw he was going to be speaking at St Paul's Cathedral in London this last week, and uh, that this talk was going to be recorded, I made a mental note to be sure to listen to him. The talk's title was Jesus Christ, the Unanswered Questions, which I thought sounded rather intriguing. As it happens, it was one of Archbishop Rowan's rather denser offerings. Uh, But in the Q&A afterwards, there was a very simple but very direct and very good question addressed to him. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? His answer was as follows. Jesus is the ground of all my hope the definition of what I long and pray to grow into in terms of obedience to and intimacy with God the Father, the one who holds together a human race that's always trying to tear itself apart, who gives the breath of his spirit so that we share life, not fight over it, the one whose death and resurrection are the centre point of human history. He concluded, if all the things he did were written down, the world itself could not contain the books that would be written, as someone put it. I don't think this is a perfect answer to the question. I'm certain that many people, possibly some of us here this morning, would find it incomplete or lacking in particular emphases that are especially important to you in your faith. But I think that Archbishop Rowan's is a rather beautiful answer, and it's one that's prompted me to ask myself, and us collectively this morning as well, exactly this same question. Who is Jesus to you? And I'd like to do this especially through our two Bible passages this morning and also through one particular piece of art that is a special favourite of mine and which in the way that uh, the arts can do sometimes uh, beyond the capability of words which holds multiple ideas and dimensions together uh, simultaneously in one image. I'm very conscious that by doing this, I too will be giving a very partial answer to this uh, most vast of questions, and one to which the Bible itself also gives dozens, if not hundreds, of responses. 
In John's gospel alone, we famously have the seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. As I read at the start, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and so on. Paul's letters refer to Jesus in multiple different ways. And of course, the Old Testament contains prophetic declarations like that which we've just heard from Isaiah, from a whole range of different voices. And in our worship so far this morning, in the words of our first two songs, we've sung, My one defense, my righteousness, my comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength, the king of kings, the roaring lion, my living hope. I thought that as we approach Palm Sunday, as we approach Holy Week, Good Friday, Easter Day itself, there are so many contrasting and at times perhaps uh, even conflicting images of Jesus with which we're confronted. As his story, uh, the story of his ministry hurtles towards its climax over these coming two weeks that it's really important for each one of us to ask this question of ourselves, that we examine our hearts, our minds, our souls, and we articulate our answer as to who Jesus is for ourselves. Let's look first at our Old Testament passage that Jude read to us from Isaiah chapter 43. The book of Isaiah, of course, is a great source of prophecy about the Messiah, the chosen one of God's people, come to save them. We're very familiar, uh, perhaps, from our traditional Advent and Christmas readings with uh, chapter 9 of Isaiah, where we hear that he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And here, in chapter 43, the prophet gives a different picture of one who is to come making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God has delivered his people in the past, bringing them out of slavery in Egypt. But now he commands them not to look backwards, but to turn to this new thing that is springing up. This new thing that is the presence of Jesus in the world. Not only fully divine, but fully human. God moving in creation in the form of his son. The word of God that was also there at the very beginning of time. Jesus Christ. Through him, new life is brought to these desert places to where nothing has grown, to where people have turned away from their heavenly Father and his ways. As Jesus himself says to the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I will give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
I'll come back to this in due course, but for the moment, uh, please keep in your minds this image, this new thing as a first answer to who is Jesus for you. Let's turn now to our gospel reading from John chapter 12. Christ is in the house of Mary and Martha. He's with his disciples and he's hosted by these dear friends, his brother Lazarus, he's only a short time before raised from the dead. Referred to in such a matter-of-fact way in this passage, but when you think about it, how utterly extraordinary. We read in the preceding chapter, in fact, that Martha declares to Jesus that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into this world. Mary, too, repeatedly addresses Jesus as Lord. It's clear that for both of them, they understand Jesus' divinity. They acknowledge his lordship over their lives. But in our reading this morning, Mary goes a step further. And in doing so, she demonstrates who for her Jesus truly is. In contrast to the objections raised by Judas, horrified by what he sees as uh, sheer profligacy, Mary pours a vast quantity of perfume over Jesus' feet, wiping them with her hair. In her action, her immense generosity to her Lord, her tenderness towards him, Mary demonstrates on this occasion, without the need for words, who Jesus is for her. He's the man to whom she gives honour way, way beyond what would be considered normal, even to the very highest uh, of highest of of those in authority. He is the God, the Son of God, for whom she's prepared to sacrifice in this extravagant way, just as in due course he will sacrifice his all on the cross for her, for Martha, for Lazarus, and for each one of us too. This brings me back to what I said earlier, that I'll attempt to say something of who Jesus is through these two readings and also through a work of art. Peter, if you could pop it on the screen, the first slide for us, please. So this um, is the inside of the ancient church of San Clemente in Rome. It's close to the Colosseum, and it's one of my favorite places in that amazing city. In it, in the apse, um, for those of you who don't, don't know your, your architectural technicalities, that's, that's a half dome, um, the apse behind the altar, sort of up, up there as it were, um, in the equivalent, there's this glorious uh, Byzantine mosaic, it's almost a thousand years old, and it's got figures and objects set against this background of uh, shimmering gold, it's extraordinary, particularly if you see it in candlelight, uh, in the darkness, all, all of the, the different facets of, the, of, the, of the, the stones of the mosaic shimmer in the, in the gloom. 
And at the very center of this mosaic is the cross. Next slide, Peter. Thank you. On which Christ hangs. We're zooming in gradually here. We're going to zoom in a bit more in a moment. Um, There's the cross on which Christ hangs, flanked by Mary and by John. But this particular crucifixion is compared to images of the cross which these days we're perhaps more familiar. It's very different. Let's zoom into the final one, Peter. Its vertical and horizontal timbers are punctuated with images of white doves of peace. And from the base of the cross, there's this flowing out of swirling branches covering the whole of the apse uh, in, um, sort of in spirals of foliage, dripping with grapes and other fruit and covered in multicolored birds. This image is what's known as the tree of life. It's an image that we've rather lost from our Christian language of imagery, perhaps. And it combines Jesus' sacrifice for our sins on the cross with the redeeming power of this same Jesus, the word of God, through whom the world was created, as we read in John chapter 1 in whom all things hold together, as Paul writes in his letter to the Colossians, and by whom all of this same creation will ultimately be reconciled to our Heavenly Father when he, Jesus, comes again. This is a picture, an image of Christ, both as our crucified Saviour, whose ultimate sacrifice calls for our sacrifice like that of Mary. And it's also an image of Jesus as a source of life, as a source of the whole creation, as this new thing bringing life into a parched world of which Isaiah prophesies. Thanks, Peter. Why does it matter then for each one of us to be able to answer who is Jesus to you? On a very simple level, we're called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others that they might too become his followers. As the Great Commission in Matthew 28 tells us, go and make disciples of all nations. If we're unable to articulate who Jesus is to us and the difference that following him makes to our lives and can make to the lives of those who we encounter, then I suggest that we won't be able to witness to this good news that we have in him. And secondly, it's often said that we become what or who we worship the thing or person on which we focus our gaze, our attention, our energy, our mind and our heart will, over time, mould who we ourselves are, mould our priorities in life and indeed how we live our entire life. 
if we think about the people or indeed the things that mean the most to us in our lives. I'm sure we'd be able to talk about them too, describe our relationship with them, express what they mean to us in exactly the same way. I'm not really sure how we can truly have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, how we can worship him without being able to articulate who he is to us. Who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus to each one of you? Like Archbishop Rowan, I haven't pretended to give a comprehensive answer this morning to this question of who Jesus is to me. To do justice to this would take far, far longer than we all have at our disposal. Johnny said he has four hours of recording left on the memory stick on the sound desk, but I'm not going to test it. But I hope that through these two scriptures and this one image that I've shared with you this morning, I've been able to spark or perhaps even crystallize a sense in each one of you as to how you would answer this question, who Jesus is to you. May he reveal himself to each one of us and grow in us through the work of the Holy Spirit whom he sent to guide each one of us. May he grow in us a true and profound and real sense of who he is to us. That we may reflect this in how we live our lives, serving him and serving others for him to his glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to respond to that in some more more worship now. So Hannah is going to come up and the band will lead us in Build My Life. Will you please all stand?